So we've been in this series called Hijack, and the Sunday after we unveiled the, uh, the next campaign idea, Pastor Scott talked about greed. So we said we are trying to raise $2 million. Don't be greedy. Uh, that was not planned, I promise. So today, on the day that you're bringing your cards back, I'm going to talk about anxiety. <laughs> Isn't that good? We didn't plan it like that, but anyway. Uh, it worked out pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, no, we are, um, we've been in this series called uh, Hijack. Where we've been talking about some of the things that hijack our relationship with God, things that hijack the best life that, that God would have for us, some things that uh, when we get mired down in them can rob us of the good things that God really wants for us. He wants the best relationship with us. He wants good things for us. And so what are those things that, that can rob us of that? And today we are going to talk um, about anxiety. I'm going to set it up like this. A couple of years ago, um, I uh, left work one day, and I was feeling terrible, not because it was that bad here, although some days, y'all, no, I'm just kidding, uh, but I left work early, uh, left work a little early, I was feeling, feeling terrible, uh, my little boy had actually had the flu earlier in the week, and so I, I, I got worse and worse, and on the way home, um, I called my wife, and she talked me into going to the doctor, so I pull into the doctor's care, sure enough, I go in, I get a flu test, I have, I have the flu. At which point, I guess while they're looking in my ears, they discover that I had earwax build up. TMI, I know, it's going somewhere. And so they begin to try to prod into my ear and shoot this stuff with this needle-looking thing with a spray bottle attached to the bottom. Have y'all seen this? And so literally, like, they're, in my, in my mind, this is the expression on their face. You know what I mean? And so, like, they're pinning me down and shooting this in the back of my ear. They're prodding me. Meanwhile, I have a 102-degree fever. I'm like, seriously, right now is when you decide to do this? Right now. And so, like, my eyes are watering. I am not crying. My eyes are watering. My ear hurts. Finally, they let me go. I guess they've collected enough earwax for the day. They let me go, and I go up to the front counter to, to check out, and I go to get in my truck. I open the door, sit down, and realize something's off. Like, it didn't smell right. This truck had leather. I don't have leather. And so I'm looking around, and it takes me a few seconds for it to, for it to hit me. I've gotten in the wrong truck. It's the same color. It's the same kind. It's nowhere even close to the same year, but I got in the wrong truck. And the reason I tell that story is because sometimes, for a lot of us, that's what anxiety does to us. It clouds and distorts our view of the things that we're used to, of the things that we're normally really good at. It clouds us, and it leaves us in this place where we're not really functioning as ourselves anymore. Now, here's something that I know about most of us in this room this morning. Most of us suffer with some form of anxiety whether you're willing to admit it or not. My goal for us this morning isn't to diagnose your anxiety. Because let me, let me say this, and some people may disagree with me, and that's fine, but serious depression and anxiety disorders aren't treatable from a stage on a Sunday morning. You need to get help. You need to call a doctor. You need to get prescribed something. You need to be treated, your, your depression needs to be treated physically, spiritually, emotionally, chemically. It needs to be treated all the way around. So this morning, I'm not trying to diagnose you. I'm not trying to do anything. I just want to spiritually speak to anxiety 
and worry that we fight. That's the only thing I know to do, anxiety and worry. And, don't, and as I talk this morning, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the fact that you battle with anxiety or the fact that you worry or the fact that you have some depression, I'm not saying that makes you less godly either. Because the truth is, is some of the godliest people in the world battle depression and anxiety every single day of their life. Some of the heroes of the Christian faith were people that you would read their journal after they died and they always battled with anxiety. So many of us do today. It looks different for all of us, doesn't it? For some of us, anxiety is just a couple of days of not really wanting to go anywhere, not really wanting to do anything. Like this, this one's for me which those of you that know me know that I love being around people, but there's times where I go through this day or two where, like, literally it's painful to get up or it's painful to answer the phone. For some of us, anxiety is triggered by a certain person that we see or it's triggered by a certain situation that we face. Maybe it's in crowds or maybe it's traffic or maybe it's anytime money and financial strain comes up, it, 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 it puts us in a situation where we don't really know what, what to, what to do. For some of us, it's, it's something dramatic that's happened in our past, and so now every time, it doesn't even mean that we have to witness that event, but every time there's something that makes us recall that, it puts us in a state of anxiety and depression that we can't seem to get out of. For some of us, it's just laying awake at night thinking what could happen. For some of us, it, it is something we need to see a doctor about because it cripples us for days, and it's changed our life, it's changed our relationships, and literally, we have become physically sick because of the emotional turmoil. Somebody put it like this. When anxiety is bad, it feels like an electric current building up inside of me, like it's going to start shooting out of me, except it doesn't, which is worse. Anxiety is mysterious. It can feel like an invisible cage that keeps you prisoner on your sofa, unable to move for fear of something that you can't quite identify. Somebody else said, I have a list of possible problems in my head. If all the real problems are solved, I turn another one into a problem so I can worry about it. Some of y'all. A lot of research has been done about anxiety. A Medical News Today article written September of 2018 says, Today, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., no shock, affecting 40 million adults. That's one in every five adults suffer, suffer from an anxiety disorder. The American Psychiatric Association ran a poll on 1,000 U.S. residents in 2017, and they found that nearly two-thirds were extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families, and more than one-third were more anxious than they were the year before. So this problem is growing. It's not decreasing. The same study also noted that the millennial generation is the most anxious generation. Isn't that funny? That's my generation, the most connected generation. Google, Googling wasn't a verb until my generation. We're connected. We have information at our fingertips. We have more than you could ever imagine, but yet we are the most anxious generation. Studies also find that in countries considered first world, the anxiety levels are higher than in countries considered third world. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that anxiety doesn't come from a place of having enough or knowing enough or being enough, but there's something different. Today, I want to talk from the subject of the antidote to anxiety. The antidote to anxiety. And the reason I use the word antidote is because if you look up the word antidote in the dictionary, it's, it's something given to counteract a poison. So if I get bitten by a snake and I have an antidote to that venom, that poison, the poison is still in me, isn't it? There's just something that's been given to me to counteract that. And here's what I know. I know that for many of us, 
we will battle thoughts of anxiety for the rest of our lives. And so this morning, I'm not trying to cure it. I'm not trying to say you can pray it away. All I'm saying is I want us to give us some things to think about, some handles to put on, what we can do to counteract it when it comes into our lives. How we can, when, when those days come where it cripples us or when that situation arises and here we are feeling again or when those thoughts begin to run through our head and they tell us we're not good enough and they tell us everything is falling apart, nothing's coming together, when they tell us we should give up, how can we counteract those things? The antidote to anxiety. Jesus speaks of worry in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Paul's right there. If you're listening to this, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus. Good for you. You're God. I'm not. Don't worry. Really? Don't worry. Then he continues. He says, whether you have enough food to drink, uh, food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He starts out saying, do not worry. That, those words translated do not worry in the original Greek mean to be pulled apart. And isn't it funny? Isn't that kind of what worry and anxiety do to us? They, they pull us in different, in different directions. Like, I, I, I know this isn't that big of a deal, but yet it's, it's still scaring me to death, right? Like, I know this shouldn't worry me, and I know it's going to be okay, and it always has been, but I'm not really sure what God is up to. You've been there? That little thing of, I know I shouldn't feel like this, but I'm not, and I trust God, but I don't really know if I'm going to like what he's going to do, right? Worry pulls us apart. It puts us in between two places, the, the, the place where we are and the place where we know we should be. Like, I should have gotten in the right truck. I've done it a million times, right? But I was, I was clouded. It was pulling me apart. It was causing me to get distracted. That's what worry and anxiety does. Jesus says, don't let it pull you apart. Don't let it. Don't let it pull you apart. It pulls us apart emotionally, pulls us apart spiritually, and it kills our focus on the important things. Anxiety will kill your ability to make any progress in anything because it's pulling you apart. On the inside, it's pulling you apart. Jesus says, do not worry. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, here is a mistake that a lot of people make right here. Jesus is not telling us to be lazy, don't, kill, don't, don't, don't work, don't, don't, don't kill anything to eat. Jesus is not confirming our laziness here. He's not telling us that he doesn't care about our needs. As a matter of fact, remember in the Lord's Prayer, he prayed, give us this day our daily bread. He said we should pray for bread. Jesus isn't dismissing their concerns. And I want you to know that as I tell you not to worry, and as Jesus tells you not to worry, he is not saying be lazy and do nothing. Because this first century audience that Jesus is, is teaching in this passage, they would have had serious concerns whether they were going to get enough to eat. Like, we read it today, and most of us are kind of like, yeah, we'll find something to eat. We'll stop. We may not have anything at home in the fridge, but we can stop and grab something on the way home. Uh, this audience had some legitimate concerns. Some of you this morning, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to hear me say that Jesus doesn't care about the minor things in your life. He does. Some of you, you have legitimate concerns. Some of you have legitimate health concerns that are trying to worry you, that you've been thinking about, that you've been concerned about. You have legitimate health concerns, whether it's for you, whether it's somebody you love, 
whether it's a family member, some of you have legitimate financial concerns. You got another letter this week. The record, sh the record showed up two weeks ago. You have legitimate concerns. Don't hear an insympath, easy for me to say. Don't hear a Jesus that doesn't care here. That is not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to, I want you to quit just for a moment. Quit looking at the problem in front of you and just try to lift your eyes. Just a little bit. Try to, try to gain a little different perspective. I want you to, let, just, just for a moment, I know, you're, I, I know you've got some legitimate things going on. I know the, 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 the I'm trying to think of a good word, the doo-doo the, the has hit the fan. I know, I, I know you've got some stuff going on. Now y'all are thinking, what was he wanting to say? It's probably not what you thought. But what he's saying is he's saying, I know you've got some legitimate concerns, but what I want you to do is I want you to just lift your eyes just a little bit because as long as you are staring in your, the thing you're worried about and the thing that you have the anxiety about, as long as you are staring in that, you will never see the potential that God brings to that. Jesus is saying, don't worry even about the important things. Because here's something, for, for you worriers, here's something that, that may be worth your price of admission today. The thing that you are worried about, God is already working on. Here's how I know. Because my Bible tells me that he will never leave me or forsake me. My Bible tells me that he was willing to go to, to death on a cross and to rise again when he didn't have to. My Bible tells me that he will supply every need I have According to his riches in Christ Jesus, my Bible tells me my God is crazy about me. My Bible tells me that God deeply cares about me. In other words, he cares enough to work on the things that I'm so worried about. There is a God. You aren't him. He is working on what you're worried about. This thing is driving me nuts, by the way. I think one of the biggest things when it com comes to combating anxiety in our lives is remembering the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is just a big term that means that God is everywhere at the same time, that he's omnipresent, that he's, he's everywhere. Because hear me out, here's, here's what happens when we begin to worry about a situation. When we begin to worry about a situation, we begin to place ourselves in the place we're worried about. Here's, you don't believe me? Here's, here's what you do. When you're worried about your child at school, what you really want is you really want to control what happens to your child at school. And so what you and I do when we worry about something, let's take that for instance. When we worry about that, what I'm doing is in my mind, I am removing myself from where I am, and I am trying to put my place, myself, in my child's school so that I can worry about him. I'm trying to go there because I want control of that situation, don't I? Let's try another one. I, if, if, if I'm worried about somebody that I love is having surgery, if I'm really, really worried about it, the thing that I'm doing is in my mind, I'm taking myself and I'm trying to put myself in that operating room. I'm trying to be there so that I can have some kind of control over it, so that I can do something about it. I'm trying to be there. But here's what I know is I can't be everywhere. There's only one person that can. And so if for, some, for, for somehow, just for a moment, when I put myself in those other situations, if there's some reflex that just says, wait, God is already there. I'm worried. I want control. 
But God is already there. He's already working on what's worrying me. And so all I can do is be here in this moment. All I can control is what I'm doing right now. I can't be there. I can't be at school. I can't be in the operating room. But I know the one that is. Jesus continues to teach. And I want us to to look at something here. Verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Now, when I hear this, what I think is, I think about a kid tapping you on the shoulder so that he can get away with something on the other side. You know what I'm talking about? So he'll tap you on the shoulder to try to get you to look that way, and somebody on the other side is going to do something wrong. Or he'll say, what's that over there? And then go, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever done that? Don't make out like y'all didn't do that as a kid. Hey, what's on that wall over there? And then as soon as you turn your head, that's kind of what it feels to me like Jesus is doing here. Because he's, he's, he's got these people in this kind of this worry phrase. And so he's saying, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. And then he quickly makes a shift here in verse 26. He says, look, 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 look at the birds. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying all you're seeing is your problem. He's trying to divert their attention. He's trying to divert their attention. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, the birds don't control the outcome. They don't grow the food. They don't store the food. They don't control the outcome. But yet, I take care of them, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? One of the biggest antidotes to our anxiety is changing our perspective. Jesus has these people talking, he's talking about their worries, and then in the very next second, he says, but look, I want you to look to the birds. And isn't it interesting that, that the birds, we think of birds as we think about them being up? Isn't that interesting? Because what the, I, I can get the sense that what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you're, you're, you're so fixated on what's right in front of you. You're so fixated on trying to control this thing, trying to make it all perfect. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to distract them, and I'm going to cause them to look up. Hello, that's good, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you can't do anything with this. I want you to look. He's trying to divert their attention. My question to you today is, where's your look? What has your focus? What perspective are you coming at it from? Brian could tell that was driving me nuts. Oh, y'all could too, couldn't you? That's what you're paying attention to? Do I need to start over? (laughs) Thank you, Brian. But my question is, where is your look? The biggest key to combating anxiety is to quickly change your perspective. Because most of our anxiety centers around perspective. And I say centered around, centers around Because isn't that what anxiety does is it takes us on a never-ending circle of thoughts, of worries. It takes us on this never-ending spinning cycle of worry. And so what we do is, how many of you have ever ever been there? I say say circle because this is is what it looks like. You're you're asleep. Your spouse goes to the bathroom, puts the toilet seat lid down too hard. Or doesn't put the toilet seat lid down at all. 
for some of you. And so we were asleep, but now you're thinking, aren't you? And so you're thinking, you're, you're thinking, um, I, have that, I have that meeting tomorrow, I have that, that, that thing, I hope, it, I hope it goes well, because I think my boss was already mad at me. Um, and so I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope it really goes well. Wait, did I prepare for that? And you're, you're spinning in a circle is all you're doing. Did I prepare for that? Wait, um, 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 what, oh, if, if I didn't prepare, because the boss is already mad at me, they may fire me. And if they, they fire me, my, my kids will probably get taken from me. They'll probably end up killing three people and um, joining, joining a gang. And if, if, if they do, then uh, wait, wait, wait. Do we have anything for me to cook for supper tomorrow? And do you see, you see yourself spinning? Do we have anything to cook for supper tomorrow? And, oh, man, we, we've got baseball practice tomorrow. I hope, oh, man, now i got to get some gas. I hope I have some time to get some gas in the morning. Um, but but if, 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 if we have a baseball game, then I don't have to cook supper. So, but we just had fast food last night, and that would make me a bad mom if we got fast food again. And I should be asleep. I really am going to get fired tomorrow. Do you all see how that goes? Do y'all, do y'all see how that goes? And what was, what was the thing about every, every one of those thoughts that I had? They were what? They were worst case scenario. What Jesus is, is telling these people, he's saying, look, you are so on a cycle of worst case scenarios and in your head all you can think is what's, about, what's bad and about the next bad thought. Jesus is saying, look, there's some good news Look, I've got something better. Look, I've always taken care of you. Look, Jesus is saying, look. And if you talk, if you go, if, if you talk to like a psychiatrist, what they'll tell you is they'll tell you that you have to stop these loops. That your brain, as, as you're making these, these tracks of bad thoughts and worry and anxiety, what you have to do is you have to retrain your brain. What, what are they telling you? They're telling you to, to change your look. So when those thoughts begin to come, at some point, you've got to stop and you've got to say, no, that's not true. All I'm doing is thinking about the worst. I've got to change my look. God has always taken care of me. God has always loved me. I've seen him take care of the people around me. It's not that big of a deal. What is the worst that could happen? You've got to change your look. Where is your look? What is your perspective? That is a huge antidote. To anxiety. When we lose the battle of our attention, we lose the battle against anxiety. Jesus continues with a question, verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Let me just pause right there just for a second. What is the goal of your worry? What is the goal of your anxiety? Like seriously, what are you trying to accomplish? What would be the win for me staying up all night worrying about that? What is the goal? Let's skip down just a few verses. Verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. This is Jesus still talking, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So this is more perspective, right? Jesus, Jesus is saying, seek the kingdom of God first. In other words, the thing that has your focus has your attention. The thing that has your attention has your thoughts, right? He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, because he realizes if your attention is on him, your attention comes off of the other stuff. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings enough worry. In other words, Jesus is telling us today, in a culture that loves to look ahead and loves to be everywhere else, he's saying, be in the moment. He's saying, be in 
the moment because there's something powerful when you're in the moment and you're with who you're with and you're loving who you're loving and you're enjoying what you're enjoying and you're not looking at Instagram and you're not looking at Facebook and you're not concerned with what's going to happen five years from now and you're not concerned with what's going to happen 20 years from now and if they are going to grow up and get the job that you wanted them to have or if you're going to have the job that you wanted to have, Jesus is saying, no, just live in the moment. Enjoy the moment. Where is your look. So I wanted, to, I wanted to get practical this morning. And so I started thinking, how can, how can I give some people some handles to begin to combat anxiety in their life? What are some antidotes to anxiety that, that I could give you? First Peter is written by a guy named, put that one on a T for you and you missed it. First Peter is written by a guy named Peter. And the book of 1 Peter is written to some believers who are enduring suffering. And so Peter is writing, and he's trying to encourage this group of people. And in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, if you've been in church for a, long, a very long amount of time at all, you're going to recognize these verses. But this is what it says, starting in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, Y'all don't have to flip ahead on the screen, but in just the very next verse, it's going to say, cast all your cares on God, for he cares about you. Usually in the church, we separate those two verses. We'll say, humble yourselves, therefore, under mighty, God's mighty hand, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. But then we'll quote separately, cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. But in the original language, these verses are the same. And so what, I, what I've come to understand is authentic humility is an antidote to anxiety. So what Paul knew is he knew, even way back then, he knew that so much of our anxiety and our concern is based on what other people will think of us. Isn't it? Moms, you got to look like Supermom. Even though inside you're dying, you're tired, if you hear Mommy one more time, you're going to throw something. But you got to look like Supermom, don't you? Guys, you, you want to look the part, don't you? Like you're the man. Like you're the man that she needs, right? You want to look the part. Think about this. How much time do you spend on things that the only reason you're spending time on is because of what somebody might think of you? Authentic humility is an antidote to anxiety, and we don't like to talk about that. God spoke something very clearly to me several months ago. He said, Jonathan, humility is the hallway to peace. In other words, sometimes I can get so concerned. I can get so concerned with how I come across, with how I'm viewed, with making sure that I'm smart enough, I'm good enough. I'm reading your reactions right now thinking, are they, is this good enough? But I, I, can get, I can get so into that. The only way that I'm going to be able to grasp the peace of God is to walk in humility and realize he loves me regardless of what happens. Y'all don't all have to smile now because I said that. First <laughs> Peter 5, 7, he goes on to say, casting all your care. Now, that word care there in the original language is the word maris, which means a care that brings about disruption to the personality, 
right? Casting all your care. Some translations say all your anxiety. It's, it's, a, it's a care that brings disruption to the personality or mind of. The second, the second antidote to anxiety is constant surrender. Cast all your cares. In other words, cast all of your disruption in your mind and in your personality. He says cast all of that on to God. That casting is an active term. It doesn't even say lay. It doesn't say lay it at God's feet. No, it says cast it all to God. All of that stuff that brings disruption, talk to him about it. Let him know. Put it in his hands. Tell him, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it with you. I'm going to cast it to you. Cast all your cares. Craig Rochelle, pastor in Oklahoma, says it like this. He says, we can't control every situation, but we can control our surrender. You can't always control what happens to you or what worries you or what bothers you, but you can control your surrender to a God that deeply loves you. Cast all of your disruption on him. Verse 7 finishes, because he cares about you. That word care means to be concerned to be the interest of or to concern oneself with. How cool is that? Am I just a Bible nerd that geeked out on that? But there's, there, there's the word care twice in the same verse, and one is talking about me, me, me caring so much about what I have right in front of me, and it's, it, the word is a disruption to the personality and to the mind. And then there's this other word care that is talking about how much God cares about me, and it says to be concerned with the well-being of. How cool is that? Because the very thing that disrupts me moves him. Did you catch that? The very thing that disrupts my life moves him to action because of his love for me. The third, accurate expectations are an antidote to anxiety. Accurate expectations. I didn't tell this story first service because I was afraid I was out of time, but y'all were waiting on barbecue, so y'all are good. So every Saturday morning at our house, most of y'all, unless you have really small kids, get to sleep in on Saturday mornings, right? We have a five-year-old. Our Saturday morning usually begins at 5.15, like every other day, because he does not want to sleep. And confession time, for a long time now, Saturday mornings, I've been one ticked off dad. It's put me in a sour mood for the rest of the day. It just aggravates me because I have the expectation that on a Saturday morning I'm going to sleep in, right? I mean, I expect. I've, I've worked hard all day, all week. I've, I've gotten up at 5 o'clock all week. Today, dadgummit, is Saturday, and I want to sleep late. And so what it does is it causes me anxiety because I expect Riley to sleep in. And when he comes into my room for the 20th time, and I've already told him, go get back in your bed, and I've tried not to call him names already, when he comes into the 21st time, it disrupts me and causes me some anxiety. Sorry. But the problem's not necessarily Riley. The problem's in my expectation. Some of you, most of your anxiety comes from other people, and the problem isn't the people. It's that you're putting too much expectation in the people. You can write this down. 
Always expect God to do great. Never expect anything from anyone. Always expect God to do great things. Never expect anything from anyone else. I'm not saying you have to dislike people. You have to always see the bad in everyone. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is if your joy hinges on the fact that someone's not going to disappoint you, then you're getting your joy in the wrong direction. Accurate expectations are an antidote to anxiety. For some of us, that is the very thing that our, that is the very trigger for all of our anxiety. The expectation of perfection is a recipe for turmoil. Some of you, you expect things to be perfect. You, you reflect that on other people. You expect your life to be perfect. You expect everything to go perfectly. And once everything gets perfect and I get my house the way I want and I get my children to act the way I want to and I get enough money in the bank and I get enough bills paid off and I look a certain way, I expect everything to be perfect. I'm going to go to this dinner with a date on... I'm going to go on a date with my significant other Friday night. It's going to be perfect until the steak comes and he makes a jerk out of himself because they didn't make it rare and they cooked it too long, right? And what it does is when you expect perfection, anything less of that just blows it up. It's a recipe for turmoil. God is the only one that's perfect. We've got to just expect to walk with him. The thing that you can always count on is that he loves you no matter what. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. There's some people in this room this morning and through even the fiddling of my microphone and God spoke some things to you. Maybe you don't even realize this, God. Maybe you're not even a believer but you just know that something inside of you has to change. You're tired of this anxious feeling. If you're struggling with anxiety this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift your hand up? I just want to pray for you. I think there's power in that. Wow. God, thank you for every person that raised their hand. God, we all have our battles. Lord, would you help for us to change our look? God, to see the good in what seems all bad. God, to not reflect our expectations onto other people and then get disappointed when they act like people. God, would you change our look? Help for us to walk humbly. God, we're tired of trying to live up to some standard that somebody else created that we don't even know them and we don't, they don't, they're not even thinking about us, but we're still trying to live up to their standard. God, would you release that? Would you release us from that? Would you break that? And God, I, 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 I speak over all of these people victory over anxiety, God. Not that it ever completely goes away, God, but that we learn to fight and that we fight in your power and in your strength. For some of you this morning, your place of anxiety comes from trying to earn a relationship with God. You've been trying to do right. You've been trying to measure up. You've been trying to love enough. And you've always felt like there was just something missing. And that something missing is Jesus. So if you feel like he's knocking on the door of your heart this morning and you just feel like you need some hope, would you just say this prayer with me? Say, God, I know I've messed it up, but I've been trying to do it by myself. I know Jesus is the only way. So today I put my faith in him. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I trust you. 
come into my life. My life is no longer my own. In Jesus' name. God, thank you so much for every person under the sound of my voice. God, the struggles that we face are just struggles of a world that's it's increasingly difficult. And God, for the people that have been following you for a long time and have been facing anxiety for a long time, God, I pray that they will find some victory. God, thank you that this battle belongs to you. God, may we fight with you. God, may we continue to retrain our brain to change the look. God, thank you for a church that desperately loves people. Thank you for a church that's willing to keep fighting. In Jesus' name, amen.